0: I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in, and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome, welcome, solar warriors. If you're new here, thank you for lending me your ears, and the only non-renewable resource you possess, that, of course, is your time. Thanks as well for giving us a chance to earn your attention. I intend to show you that the next hour is well worth the investment. Did you ever wonder what it takes to start and scale a racking company, a solar racking company, that is? What about one that is not actually based on a metal substrate like steel or aluminum? Well, today's entrepreneur, Ali Rothschild, CEO and co-founder of Solega, has been doing just such a thing and innovating around the substrate underneath those PV solar modules for a long time. He's been building his company for just about as long as I've been in the industry. In fact, I first heard of Solega and saw their Gen 1 product way back, I think, in 2009. And I've truly marveled at how they've innovated over the years in a category that is famously known for low margins and intense competition and consolidation, for that matter. If you love stories of grit and creativity, if you were wondering why Solega has yet to be consolidated by ESDEC, well, you are in the right place. So stick around as we tell the Solega PV racking story. And of course, a little more. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to the show as that'll ensure that you won't miss out on our twice weekly episodes just like this. And you can always check out more than 585 additional founders stories and startup advice at mysuncast.com. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. Since 2000, Ellie Rothschild has worked to improve the built environment and innovate in the solar industry. His company, Solega, offers a unique approach to commercial rooftop solar racking, and he's truly one of the underrated and underrecognized solar warrior success stories out there, in my humble opinion. I'm happy to have Ellie on the show at long last. Thanks for joining us on Suncast.
1: Thanks, Nico. Thanks for having me. You are too kind. Well, I, uh, as we
0: probably will discuss, have been following the, the progress of the product company that you've created since very, very early in my career. And I'm really impressed to see the way that you've built success upon success and in an industry where there's a lot of competition, often cutthroat competition, and what I would c- consider very lumpy growth <laughs> you know, before we get too far afield talking specifics, I'd love to hear in your words, how do you describe the problem specifically that you created Sulega to solve?
1: Yeah. So Nico, as you probably are aware, and I think most people that work on commercial flat roofs, flat roofs are never flat. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's undulations, there's all kinds of obstacles you have to work around. Uh, Every roof is a challenge, has its own set of, of circumstances. And back in 2006, we were working on a commercial flat roof project and the racking systems that were available at that time were very frustrating. And it really planted a seed that there needed to be an easier way to install solar panels on commercial flat roofs. And that was really the the impetus for starting Salega.
0: I love that. I recall very clearly sitting in the DRI energy offices when One of your former sales guys, Bob Rudd, joined us and had um, had invited you guys. I don't know if he had like had one of your kits or something, but sitting there looking at this and thinking, "Now this is literal out of the box thinking." Why don't you take a moment and introduce me then to Solega as a company? Why is this now you know fifteen year vision plus designed to solve the problem that you've just enunciated?
1: We started looking at materials and really. Figuring out what was the best material to mount solar panels with. Mm-hmm. All the systems that were on the market at the time were all metal, rail, rigid mm-hmm. systems. We started looking at, well, what are the roof materials? The roof materials are all polymer. You've yeah. got TPO, you've got EPDM, you've got PVC. Well, there's a reason they're using those materials on the roof. Mm-hmm. A, they're extremely durable; they last a long time. Uh, B, they're very they're very good with UV resistance. Yeah. And they don't rust, they don't corrode, things like, like that. So uh, I was actually uh, 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 walking around the n- neighborhood. We had an office in the Mission District in San Francisco. And the water wall, they're a, it's a blow molded HDPE product that they use for construction sites. I'm sure you've mm-hmm. seen them before. Yeah. I started looking at those and it, it kind of planted a seed in my head. And I started thinking, well, we could make racking out of that. And the original designs were kind of a wedge shaped. We we originally thought, oh, we'll fill them with water for ballast. And yeah, that makes sense. We'll attach strut strut to them, and and we'll uh, uh, attach solar panels to them. Mm. And I came back to the office and and got the guys excited about it, and we started you know designing, and uh, we came up with a product that we thought uh, we wanted to take it to the market and see what the response was. So we, 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 we pulled the trigger. We, we, we founded a, a thermal forming uh, company here in the Bay area. Uh, and we had some parts made and and we drove them down to Anaheim for the SPI in 2009. And we set them up and the response was positive. Love it. um, it's funny because mm-hmm. there were parts on the tool on the parts that if you, They were so thin in some parts that we were really trying to keep people away from looking at that, because if you push on it with your finger, it would push in. But, you know, it it was it wasn't a product that we ever thought we would could build something with. Mm -hmm. But the response was positive. People thought we were onto something. So we went back to the drawing board, uh, revised our designs and uh, retooled. And uh, and that that's really how we got our start
0: for those who are completely unfamiliar with the relative scale of the C&I market. We've talked about it here with Michelle Davis from Woodmac. It's a sizable and I would say a perennially underserved market for a lot of reasons. Could you give us a sense of the TAM for the market specifically that your product addresses?
1: Well, we work on all what we call low-pitch roofs, what most people would call a flat roof, as well as ballasted ground mount systems uh so it's uh it's a huge market we're we're in the early stages of of really covering uh commercial flat roofs in this country uh if you fly in an airplane anywhere in the country y- y- you can see all the flat roofs and very few have solar on them so we've got a long way to go
0: yeah just to tag on to the relative size for those who are unfamiliar for c and i i mean as you just said, you fly it into any airport and you see just so much untapped resource on commercial roofs. I don't know, uh, and I may need to look this up. Um, but I, I don't know what the total capacity would be. Although I know that number is knowable because people are people have calculated it. But the commercial what's considered CNI commercial industrial sector usually installs between three and four hundred megawatts a quarter. So we're talking somewhere on the order of a gig and a half of uh, c- commercial industrial. Installs in the U.S. alone, and I'm sure that you're not only selling in the U.S. So that's a substantial market. What are the solutions that you mentioned? Part of the reason in 2006 you started the product, the company was just sort of not finding really good solutions that were, in many ways, being adapted from either ground mount or or residential rooftop solutions and needed ballasting of certain sorts. how do you see if you are? that Solega is disrupting the sector for CNI specifically?
1: Well, if you look at our solution, uh, it's quite different than other systems on the market. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were the first out with a modular system. Uh, It stacks, it nests, it's one piece, there's no assembly. We were the first to use polymer for racking in the US. Uh, Mm -hmm. There were companies that were uh, utilizing HTPE in Europe uh, previously, So it validated what we were doing. Mm -hmm. We knew we were on the right track. And the ability to injection mold a part that has all the features built in is one piece, doesn't require assembly. Uh, And now with a new UL certification, Mm -hmm. uh, UL 3741, it's also validating the fact that our racking is safer, which we have been stating for a long time. Being polymer, it's non-conductive we're dealing with 1000 volt on the roof love it. potentially going to 1500 volt in the near future
0: so we'll get soon into a conversation around sort of the business model clients distribution methods etc but before mm-hmm. we really dive into that technology i'd love to pique folks interest around uh, any metrics for success accolades accomplishments that you've achieved could you give us some data around the sort of relative growth of the company maybe even investment pathways if you've chosen to pursue that um, mm-hmm. and how you generally funded R and D. I mean, that's an important piece of getting a product out of the, out of the skunk works.
1: We were uh, fortunate early on to have an angel investor, uh, that believed in us and, uh, helped us, uh, during the preliminary years. We had an office in New York and it was through, uh, my business partner at the time contact. Got it. Uh, so that, that really enabled us to develop the product, uh, and to hire engineers and, and, uh, and, and, you know, push the, push the ball forward, basically. Wow. Are you, uh,
0: are, are you comfortable saying how much you raised or ballpark of how much you had from that
1: angel investor? It again? was a small amount. Um, I believe if I remember correctly, it was maybe three, 350,000. Wow. Thereabout. That's phenomenal
0: to launch an actual like new product category as it were into the commercial roofing space. And we're talking 2009 folks we are not talking like 2019 where clean tech investing was hot and ready to, and ready to roll. This was uh, effectively, you know, the same time period. Well, it's clean tech 1.0. So it was still hot for investing and people were believers.
1: Thankfully it wasn't 2013. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it uh, was a lot of sweat equity.
0: Mm. Have you, had any, well, we can skip this question and move to the next one if there's not anything like that you want to highlight, but are there specific things around accolades or accomplishments that you're proud of that you want to sort of brag about?
1: Well, we've had a number of projects in uh, extreme weather zones Mm -hmm. that have done very well uh, down in the Caribbean specifically that that have gone through uh, Cat 5 hurricanes. Uh, I'm not claiming that our racking will survive a Cat 5 (laughs) hurricane, but uh but it has um and uh on a number of occasions so we're very proud of that we're also a US made company we've always been US made we always will remain US made um so I'm I'm proud of that as well.
0: Mm. Thank you for sharing that Ellie. I want to ask a little bit about um you personally if that's okay. Where did you grow mm-hmm. up?
1: I grew up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin.
0: Milwaukee. Fascinating I have had a number of Midwest guests on the show lately. And I, I find that this, um, the answer to your early life, your upbringing, uh, in many ways is determined by where you grew up specifically, uh, the, the, the life, um, and family interaction in my area of the rural South is a lot more like, um, your area in Milwaukee than California or New York. That's for sure. So tell me as such, what was the nature of the family unit that you grew up in and talk to me a bit about the conversation for you as a young person around the dinner table. What was that like?
1: I uh, was fortunate to uh, grow up in a uh, family business. Mm. Uh, my, my family was in the art business mm. uh, and we had uh, custom picture framing stores throughout Wisconsin. Uh, so as a child, I grew up uh, in the art business and my grandfather actually had a factory and manufactured picture frame molding no way. So he was a, a very, uh, innovative, uh, person and, uh, developed all kinds of equipment for, for that industry. And, uh, it, it, I uh, spent a lot of time, uh, you know, in the family business and it, uh, it really, uh, was a good experience.
0: So early on a chance to actually understand how business works. Do you remember the first time you sat in on a business meeting that you recognized as like, oh, this is business happening?
1: I actually, uh, was, um, at age 19, I, uh, took over and managed one of the locations while I went to uh, business school okay. in Milwaukee. So that, that was my, that was my, uh, my, my first, uh, experience with running a business.
0: Wow. That's, yeah. a. That's a wonderful early opportunity to see how, uh, how business works. Do you think, can you, can you think back to that time in your life? What were some of the, what were some of the things that you now, you still carry with you now from running the family business at 19?
1: I think it's important to, uh, treat people that work for you the way that you would want to be treated mm-hmm. first and foremost. Um, and everybody has uh, their own lives and, has their own circumstances. So I think uh, keeping morale and keeping everybody uh, working towards the same goal and excited about what they're doing and um, um, really uh, supporting them as much as possible to be successful is, they're the key keys to running a successful business.
0: Did you have in that, in that early childhood up to, you know, the teenage years, getting through college, running the business, did you have someone that you looked up to that you considered a personal hero?
1: My grandparents were uh, uh, always self-employed and and very entrepreneurial. And uh, I I think uh, that was a big, big impact on on my uh, upbringing.
0: You know, following the path of the family business must have been, I am sure, a strong draw for you. You went to school locally in Wisconsin, yet we know that the end story is that you ended up in California. Can you tell me about your journey west? (laughs)
1: Well, I think uh, uh, like a lot of people's story, I I, I met a woman and uh, who later became my wife uh, is my wife. And um, she lived in San Francisco when I met her. And uh, um, well, you can kind of guess the rest.
0: (laughs) I love that. You are a man of few words, Ellie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 25 years later, here we are.
0: That's a wonderful story, though. Uh, And as you so accurately put as is so often the case, uh, following a future partner or just an impetuous uh, longing for a, a past partner is uh, so often at the root of these major life decisions that have such a ripple effect on generations in our family. And, uh, uh, yeah. you know, it's, it, it underscores what you said earlier about the importance of a relationship in life, not just business, but treating others the way you want to be treated. You know, it... Um, it harks back to the the strength of those Midwestern roots for sure. And I know from the people who have worked with you that I've interacted with that it is a truism in Solega. So I'm um I appreciate hearing that you know, that's that root of business in your in your life. We know now that you're in the solar industry. I'm curious along the path, what if any detours in your career um have further informed your current path? I'm I'm wondering, you know, specifically are there Jobs along the way from the family business to Solega that you just sort of look back on and laugh or chuckle or, or, you know, share as one of those, you won't believe this kind of stories?
1: Well, when I moved to California, it was all the, the dot com was, uh, was all the, all the rage and that wasn't really my thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, uh, I actually went on a one, I think it was one of the first solar homes tours here in San Francisco. Yeah. And there was probably about, maybe a half a dozen installations here in the city at the time
0: yeah this is late 90s
1: yeah and I connected with some people and I I I met a gentleman that was had been in the thermal solar business back Mm in the 70s and uh was just starting uh, a new company up and I was uh came on board and you know very anxious to learn and that midwest uh you know drive to 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 do it all and uh uh, and it was a good experience, and I, I I started went from there and worked for a commercial solar installer, mm-hmm. which was uh, up in the North Bay, and uh, and then 2004 uh, started my first company uh, in the energy business, uh, and we were young and ambitious, uh, uh, you know, uh, going into homes and and insulating and air sealing wow. and testing and trying to you know do everything, yeah. And uh, when, you're, you, you, when you're young, you, you think you can do that. So
0: some listening will recognize uh, some of the names that you worked for. You were the first employee at Next Energy in San Ramon. Um, you got, yeah. you worked for uh, a solar, true solar pioneer, uh, Dan Thompson in Northern California, a company that has birthed a number of our friends who now run other, uh, other companies uh, successfully in uh, the sector. <clears throat> and then the company you're mentioning now was called Sustainable Spaces, right? Correct. Yeah. I remember when I was in Monterey sustainable spaces, I was going through USGBC and getting lead certified and learning everything about green building and the work that you guys were doing at sustainable spaces was like the preeminent. It was like looking at like, this is what it's going to, ha- this is what it's going to look like. Or these, you know, these young company up in San Francisco that's doing this green yeah. building certification stuff. And um, so I'm, I'm curious how that, transitioned to a C-46 and, and solar as a fascination?
1: Well, I got my license in 2004 and we were doing solar installations, thermal and PV. Yeah. Um, With sustainable spaces. And, yeah. Yeah. And
0: uh-huh. I feel like you you used like greening the home, insulation, et cetera, energy audits as a lead magnet, right? As a way to get in the door.
1: It was. Um, and it was a challenging business. Uh, I wouldn't recommend it to anybody. <laughs> Uh, but it did get me to where I'm at now. So I'm grateful uh, for the experience.
0: Yeah. You, uh, you, like many of us started your business when you had a young family, what were the ages of your children while you were trying to start sustainable spaces?
1: Uh, let's see, uh, four and six.
0: Wow. That's maddening. Um, (laughs) my, my condolences to to anybody who had to deal with you in those years. (laughs) (laughs)
1: well, I think my wife, uh, she's a educator here in San Francisco and, and her, uh, steady, uh, pay Mm -hmm. is really what got us, uh, through some lean years.
0: That is such, I'm glad that you, um, inject that because, you know, we've said a number of times in interviews through the years and often I'll prompt, but it's not always like appropriate to do so. Like, how'd you make it through the lean years? And, Uh, You know, that's one thing that you and John Berger and a number of others have in common, like the ability to say, you know, what, if it wasn't for my wife, this company and many others that have ideas that I've had wouldn't have made it. Um, So I appreciate appreciate that nod to the partnership that you have with her. But Sustainable Spaces obviously uh, was another stepping stone. You started Sustainable Energy Partners. Tell me about the work that you did with Sustainable Energy Partners that ultimately got you to the rooftop when and looking around thinking, what's wrong with commercial roofing racking
1: Well, I kind of, uh, I, I really wanted to focus on larger projects and Mm -hmm. truly try to have a bigger impact. Um, the, the one-off homes was, was great, but, uh, you know, we wanted to move into larger projects, larger opportunities. Uh, so we took what we learned from, well, I took what I learned from, from sustainable spaces and we, we, we started sustainable energy partners. I I brought in another partner, Mm -hmm. uh, and, uh, we were doing, uh, commercial solar development. Um, we were, uh, doing energy modeling, lead certification, um, things of that nature.
0: So this is 2006, seven, eight, nine time frame. Why yep. commercial, why did commercial rooftop call your attention? I mean, this is the same period of time, by the way, um, to help people rec- recognize like what was, what was being recognized as commercial rooftop, you know, power still had their power guard. The Moscone Center, what, 500 kilowatts, was like one of the largest solar installs in the U.S. at the time. Um, yeah. Was there a sense generally of a fervor that like CNI rooftop, this is going to happen? Uh, or is there something else that you saw and appreciated about the CNI market that wasn't resi and it wasn't utility?
1: I, I think I just wanted to work on larger projects. And I've I've always identified that flat roofs are the mm-hmm. really the the, the low hanging fruit that's yeah. the best opportunity. Um, we have all this real estate out there, it's not being utilized. Um, we have all these, um, large energy, you know, users. Um, so it's a, it's a good fit. And, um, it was, it kind of, I guess it called to me. Mm -hmm. It seemed like, uh, the best opportunity to, to have the biggest impact.
0: So you mentioned earlier that, uh, you had this original concept, 2009, went to SPI, put it out there. People liked it and they showed interest. Walk me down the sort of product iteration pipeline from this conceptualization that was probably too flimsy to have anyone like feel really confident about to 2014 patents recognized with the product. Walk me through the product iteration and product stack that forms the under, the the sort of supports who Sulega became in the industry.
1: Well, we came back from that show uh, with... A lot of excitement, a lot of motivation, um, you know, positive feedback from the industry. And we went back to the drawing board and we redesigned and we found a, a different thermal former that that we could work with. And our first product, uh, commercial product to market was our IR-15. 15.
0: Yeah, 15
1: uh, degrees. Was 15 degree InstaRack, which was a HTPE uh, thermal formed uh, sled, yeah. it looked like a large sled that we would attach North South. And then we would attach Unistrut East West, mm-hmm. uh, to attach panels. Yep. The first parts that we made, uh, first products that we made, the, the thickness of the material in some places was like three eighths of an inch. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was indestructible and that's, that system has proven to be extremely durable. We've yeah. We've, uh, we did a number of installations with it and yeah. our first installations were in New Jersey Yeah, and that client we still work with.
0: If you search Solega, I can say this cause I just did it, uh, just to see what would happen. If you search Instarack Solega 15, you'll find ENF Solar and others who have the PDF of this product up that will show you exactly what it looks like to put HDPE and Unirack together to mount modules and, and the, The elegance uh, and stackability of this product, certainly at its time, was novel and revolutionary in many ways.
1: We liked working with HDP. It's a really abundant material. It's extremely durable. Um, It's utilized everywhere for all kinds of products that require, you know, UV resistance and things of that nature. But obviously, code code changes dictated that we moved to a different material, and we also stepped up to injection molding in 2014. But mm-hmm. prior to that, we also designed and made—our next product was the IR10, mm-hmm. which was a 10-degree version of the InstaRack. Yep. And then from there, uh, in 2012, we uh, came out with another product, which was our FR5, which was our first fast rack. Design, Which was the first modular stackable design, uh, essentially the predecessor to what we manufacture now, uh, which was also HDPE. That product is actually uh, was installed on Turtle Bay and the North Shore of Oahu Mm -hmm. in 2012. And they've since taken it off and re-roofed and put it back on and it's doing just fine. And it's it's one of the highest salt spray, highest corrosion uh, environments probably in the world.
0: Yeah. It was also installed uh, on a huge Weston down in the Caribbean, right?
1: It was. And it, it's interesting you mentioned that because we're actually going to be, that project was installed in like 2014. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hurricane Irma and Maria came through. Uh, the m- m- first island that they made landfall over was uh, St. Martin, yeah. and it devastated the hotel. Uh, they had a, uh, a Coast Guard helicopter circling the island post hurricane. And we, we were lucky enough to capture some, some shots from, from that of the hotel. And about 90% of the array was still on the roof, which was very great. We were excited about it, uh, validated our wind tunnel testing in in real time, which was interesting. And, uh, they're actually, uh, just now we're going to be shipping in the next few months, new racking to install another new system on that roof.
0: Oh, that's fascinating. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. I have uh, links to some of this stuff too for those who want to see it. Uh there's a there's a picture of the array on the West and Down in the Caribbean San, San Martin, if you wanna check that out mm-hmm. as well in the in the show notes for the episode. Were there any core pivots in the design that were driven or how were the core pivots in the design driven by customer feedback rather than you guys just thinking about iterating to stay ahead of competition?
1: Definitely feedback. Always we were looking for feedback from installers and from our clients as to how we could improve uh, make it better. Um, obviously there, the, I always called it the race to the bottom. How how do we, how do we get costs out? How do we reduce park count? How do we make it simpler, uh, more universal? Um, so that was really the, 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 uh, the motivation behind our first fast track design was Mm -hmm. the InstaRack is great, uh, but it's a lot of material and it's a lot of rail and, and, and all of the, The costs associated with that but then there's all the other costs of Mm -hmm. okay now we got to get it on the roof yeah now we got to stage it um now we need all the labor to move it all around these heavy things and those all factor in so i think when we're looking at racking solutions really try to take a uh you know you have to look at it from right from the beginning of where is this material coming from what's the carbon footprint of this material yeah you know how is it impacting Uh, the environment, to make this material? Is it recyclable? Is it expensive to to get to the job? Like, you know, so we've continued to uh, evolve our product offering. Um, We're on our sixth tooling now. We continue to improve and strengthen and find ways to, um, you know, I kind of liken it to a moving target the industry, we have, Mm -hmm. we have a a very demanding requirements that we have to meet. We have to meet the requirements of the roofing industry, which Mm -hmm. is, uh, is, can be pretty quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And we also have the requirements of the module manufacturers, which are continuously evolving and changing and and, and changing the format of their modules. So it's, it's really a moving target. And uh, we've, we've been able to uh, maintain relevant, be relevant and, um, and we're still utilizing the same design from 2014 to mount panels now.
0: Have you been curious about utility scale storage? SunGrow's revolutionary liquid cooled solution is revolutionizing the storage landscape. It's built in DC to DC coupling combined with other features like higher Energy density and 3% slower battery degradation make it a robust solution that companies nationwide are choosing. You can learn more about this innovative solution by SunGrow by visiting mysuncast.com forward slash SunGrow. You know, when you partner with our partner, Trina Solar US, you get more than best-in-class Vertex modules. You also gain a bankable partner for optimized compatibility and improved system value. With the Trina Pro Utility Scale Solution or C&I solutions, Trina Solar is the only PV module manufacturer in the United States that offers one-stop system integration solutions, including Trina Tracker, inverters, and full BOS support to lower your levelized cost of electricity. Learn more at mysuncast.com forward slash Trina. Hey, can I borrow your attention for just one minute? How many of you in the residential solar install game right now would really say that your workflow is built to win? You know, in the 2010s, solar was all about sales. I think that the winners of the 2020s is really gonna be contractors that focus on operational efficiency. See, margins are getting squeezed and there's a ton of competition out there, but everyone has an opportunity to improve. Would you like to know the score Of the value of your survey and design process, would you like to hear about the evolution of the installer workflow? Well, then I would encourage you to join myself and my friend Jason Steinberg from Scanifly next Wednesday, the 31st of May at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Or maybe it's this Wednesday or maybe you already missed it and you need to go see the replay at any point. You are going to benefit from the insights that we're going to reveal The benefits of a tech-driven solar ops program, the transition from manual to digital surveys, it's all there. I hope that you will check in, tune in, register, and uh, throw us some hard questions. We always love it in our live broadcasts. Join us May 31st, 2 p.m. with Scanifly. See you there. The thing for me in the design of your product was that f- I, immediately when I saw it, that it stood out to me 20, you know, not 20, 12 years ago, when I first started really looking at this product as an option for some of our projects is how universally scalable it was that I didn't need to order. Like I could decide on different interrow row shading and it didn't matter because, because the, the rows could be independent of one another and the things like th- talk a bit about the, the special sauce in the product itself that differentiates you from some of the other competitors in the marketplace as you think about being able to offer installers an option that, flex, that can be flexible with them.
1: Flexibility is really important. You know, I, I really wanted a, a, a racking system that I would want to mm-hmm. install. Yep. I, I took my experience from installing systems and, and really apply that along the way. Mm-hmm. I want a system that's all top mount I want a system that's one size tool, right? Um, I want a system that's universal as much as possible and it's easy, quick. Um, and to you, to what you're referring to in terms of flexibility, it needs to be able to handle undulations in the roof yeah. and it needs to uh, be flexible in terms of being able to work around uh, obstacles on the roof yeah. uh, in real time.
0: You got your start in projects. You got very much your feedback and your ideation around being a developer with Stainable Energy Partners. As such, did you struggle with the revenue model early on? Are we a developer that uses our own product? Are we? Like, how did you? How do you think about that? How have you evolved in the way that you make money? I mean, you're clearly just a product manufacturer now, but are you?
1: Well, I think of us as uh, engineering, R and D, manufacturing, sales, uh, marketing company.
0: yeah,
1: We don't develop projects. Yeah. I, I I wouldn't want to compete with our customers. Mm-hmm. But when back when we were developing projects, yeah, I mean, cost obviously is is key. Mm-hmm. If, if we could shave a couple pennies off of our costs, that was, you know, price per watt, that was a big deal.
0: I know we talked a bit about some of the customers that you've had, but I feel like that first lead customer that is the first domino always is not only great satisfaction, but it is informative of where ultimately the product is going to achieve what we call product market fit. How and when did you finally achieve that product market fit? Give me the story of that first lead customer that really nailed it for you. Maybe it wasn't the first customer you sold it to, but the one where you go, okay, this time, like this, this just unlocked what I think is the market we're going to serve.
1: Our first really large uh customer was on the East Coast. Um going back to twenty eleven. And we had the opportunity to provide racking for uh thir- well, originally it was fifteen Walmarts. It ended up being thirteen Walmarts in the New England mm-hmm. region. And uh that that was really our, our first uh what year? Sort of 2011, 2012. Oh, right on. Who was the installer? Then, Is
0: that Green Skies? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it, man. Mike Silvestrini and Andrew like always yep. were on the cutting edge of what products yep. to use. There was, yeah, seriously, harbingers of like technology on the front edge.
1: We were fortunate enough to work with them, and and that was really our kind of large first large portfolio mm-hmm. of of projects that uh, um, we 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 knew we wanted to work towards. Work with companies like that that were doing portfolios rather, you know, initially than the smaller one-off uh, type of. Opportunities. Obviously, we work with everybody now, um, and and we're happy to provide racking for all you know, yeah. flat roof or ballast ground mount. But um, but that that was a, a I think a that was a turning point for us.
0: Well, when you can get an anchor client like that that believes in the product as well on a name brand like Walmart, that does wonders for validation in the marketplace and and pull yep. through for other product. And that having been in manufacturing three times in my career is. That's the seminal, like that signature client that everything else hinges on. Be that as it may, in the Northeast is uh, Panel Claw. And it, this is not a market um, bereft of clever and capable competitors. You know, Panel Claw, Claw and basically almost all of their competitors in the U.S. besides you feel like they've been rolled up into Azdek or some other manufacturing um, sort yeah. of stronghold. How do you stay relevant then in a world where the racking industry is rolling up to the powerful few?
1: I think we, we have to keep innovating. We have to keep, uh, finding ways to provide value to our clients mm-hmm. and, uh, provide excellent service. Uh, when they call us, we answer the phones, when they email us, we respond and, uh, remaining relevant, uh, and, um, you know, um, actually trying to stay ahead, uh, uh, when we can, uh, we were the first first to have this new UL certification. Uh, um, that that is uh, everybody else is kind of following suit now.
0: So I want to talk about the innovation around sort of partnerships, and we'll get specifically into the UL in just a second. But a manufacturer has to think about direct sales, which you've done a lot of, and distribution, and mm-hmm. even partnerships. I think one of the non-obvious partnerships. Uh, that has been successful for you. And now I, I, I wonder with them being a part of it that if that, if that continues is Iron Ridge, you know, Iron Ridge is another homegrown U S manufacturer that, um, was a big sales channel for the, for your product. Uh, I, I can't remember if they white labeled it or how you guys put that together. They do. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, and they've been great to work with uh great company. We've been working with them for about three years now. Yeah. And, uh, as, as everybody probably is aware, Iron Ridge, they, they're large in the flush mount, mm-hmm. uh, space, uh, they, they sell their product exclusively through distribution. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was a good fit. They mm-hmm. were looking for a flat roof solution and, and we, we had one. And, uh, uh, so we, we white label it to them. They, they sell exclusively through distribution and we handle direct sales.
0: Yeah as I was thinking about the partnership that you have with Iron Ridge and the fact that as has bought all of your major competitors is Sulega, like why is Sulega still independent and wonder what the future looks like for your company in that regard?
1: Well, I think we're, we're independent. I, th- I think we're just a independently minded company. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've sort of forged our own path and mm-hmm. with a unique product offering and yeah. we're a- Financially, uh, in a good position, and we have a good, solid client base. Yeah, uh, a lot of repetitive business. Um, we're we're continue to innovate. You know, having this relationship with Asdec uh, is is has been good. Yeah, um, and they've they've also validated you know our product, and yeah. really, I think at the end of the day, my goal is always been we all need to figure out how do we speed up this process of getting more solar installed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's what it's all about. Like, yeah. that's, that's what I get up in the morning and think about. And, and, and my whole team thinks about is mm-hmm. how, how do we, how do we remove the the roadblocks? The, the, how do we, re, how do we minimize, um, uh, you know, obstacles to, to getting more solar on more roofs? Well,
0: we mentioned it a couple of times here in passing but let's get into one of the ways that you are uh, innovating in the market that I find particularly interesting for uh, for commercial rooftops. specifically folks will recognize that there is um, there have been raised safety concerns things like rapid uh, module level shutdown um, is a, you know it's a requirement uh, in the North American uh, electric code it has caused no lack of consternation for both the racking and electronics power electronics providers in the industry. Tell me a bit about the announcement that you guys recently made with SMA and and expanding out to others around uh, UL certification that creates a distinction for you in the market from others.
1: So UL 3741, uh, it, as you mentioned, has to do with rapid shutdown. Uh, there are really three ways uh, to meet rapid shutdown that are depicted in the code. Uh, one is the use of MLPEs, module-level power electronics. Uh, Two is a BIPV system that has no metal. And three is a section of the code called PV hazard control. And what PV hazard control is, is a very detailed testing procedure mimicking a first responder, sort of worst-case scenario, on the roof. It's wet. They have a specific type of hammer that they use falling on a panel Reaching over to another row of panels, what's the potential for them to be energized, to create a mm-hmm. circuit? SMA uh, approached us, I guess, about two years ago now and said, hey, we're working on, defining, working on defining the testing guidelines on this with UL, and we think your racking would be a good fit. Are you interested? Wow. Well, of course. I mean, you know, the, one of the largest inverter manufacturers in the world approaches you and says, hey, we want to work with you course you say yes <laughs> but also the the obviously the 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 implications of of not having to have the uh optimizers and or module level power electronics is a huge benefit to uh solar installers yeah and and end users we historically have not been involved on the electrical side yeah so much. we're we're dealing with grounding bonding but we we, we we historically have not gotten involved in what well, what kind of inverters are you using, hmm. what's your stringing, and yeah. um, things of that nature. So so now we're, 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 we're more involved in that, and we're putting together UL 3741-specific layouts. There are hmm. design criteria requirements in order to meet that UL certification. So all of the strings for that inverter need to P, be within the PV boundary array, which yeah. is one foot. So the inverter has to be mounted within one foot of the array and all of the strings for that inverter need to be within that array. Mm. So you can't have a subarray with conduit running over, things like that. The benefits are are numerous. Um, one, you obviously, you have the uh, avoided upfront costs of of the equipment uh, and of the, the labor to install them. Yeah. Uh, two, you have one third the number of MC4 connectors on the roof or whatever kind of connectors you're using. Yeah. And three, you have the long term O&M implications of not having equipment on the roof that historically has been sort of a weak link we've seen in in systems. Yeah. The failure failure uh, rate with them, you know, it's not insignificant.
0: Right.
1: So um, so you have a a longer term uh, solution that is actually safer Mm -hmm. as we have proven through the testing.
0: It's fascinating. Is it who else is qualifying? When when I first saw the press release for you guys getting this, uh, I had not heard of this PV hazard control. How else mm-hmm. have others met this PV hazard control sol- solution? Are you aware of any?
1: Well, actually, um, obviously, uh, Iron Ridge's uh, white labeled version, mm-hmm. uh, the BX, example. <laughs> uh, has has it. <laughs> Um and that's been one of the added benefits of working with them is is shared uh, uh testing and things like that. Panel Claw has it now with their new system uh under the SDEC Iron Ridge mm-hmm. label, or I guess not Iron Ridge label, but the SDEC label. Mm-hmm. Um and I believe Unirac is also um uh going to be achieving that soon for their their products. So those are the ones that I'm aware of.
0: Yeah, do you feel like you pushed them through this innovation to to take that step,
1: I think any of the uh, any any of the racking companies in our space are going to need to have it in order to remain competitive. Ah, uh,
0: okay, that's super interesting. You all, as I recall, were the first to comply, the first to achieve this mm-hmm. as a standard. Yeah, I mean, it's it's really sure. interesting, right, to see how often the what well, I'm going to say smaller manufacturers that are focused on a niche of uh, or a, a novel approach to solving a, prob- a problem can be they're often leaders in the sector and innovation by them forces like in your case, forces the other larger um, perhaps less nimble uh, competitors to respond. And uh, you know, my hat's off to you for jumping on the opportunity with SMA, but also creating a product that made it obvious and easy for someone like SMA to, to pick you, to, to, to sort of come along with them to get that certification. That's wonderful. I, and I would yeah. presume that um, if it qualifies with SMA, it also qualifies with other power electronics companies that would want to be involved in the system similar.
1: It does. And and we've actually have uh, worked and have added, uh, uh, you know, CPS, Electria, mm-hmm. uh, Solus, GoodWe. So yeah. um, we, we want to be able to, going back to that universal uh, approach, um, we really want we want to be able to work with everybody. We want to work, be able to work with all the modules yeah. manufacturers as well as uh, different inverter companies. But we really thank SMA for uh, spearheading it and being uh, the innovators that they are, and uh, and working with us to to bring it to market.
0: Ellie, you've got now more than a decade's worth of experience um, building um, product, manufacturing, serving customers. I'm curious, how many people does it take to run a company like Solega?
1: We're pretty pretty efficient company. Um, we, uh, subcontract our manufacturing to Mm -hmm. a large injection molder. So we have a partner with that. I, Mm -hmm. I, I am not a injection molding expert, uh, nor do I necessarily want to be, there's a lot involved in that, but, um, uh, you know, we, um, we have some great partners that we work with. So, Mm uh, we have a, a a team of, uh, drafting team and we have a, a sales team and, uh, uh, you know, standard, standard crew. I think we're right now, we're about 12 people.
0: Wow. That's amazing to be able to serve the market that you're serving and be able to keep the operations efficient, know exactly what you, what you need to deploy. Uh, I'm curious if, if you have a specific philosophy or you and your leadership team around how to look for talent and you know anything that stands out to you specifically that you look for in for folks that you add to your team.
1: I think first and foremost, I think you need to have the passion. You have to genuinely believe in, in what we're doing and it, mm-hmm. it needs to be important to you. And
0: yeah. um, How do you enunciate that then? What is it that you're doing that they need to be passionate about?
1: I, I think they have to, obviously they got to care about the environment. They need to mm-hmm. care about energy usage and about believe in solar, basically. Mm. Well, I, I hired a, a, a new salesperson recently that came in from a completely different industry. No, no experience in the solar industry whatsoever.
0: And, How'd you find and, that person?
1: Uh, through another person that works with us. Gotcha. It's, uh, it's opportunities like that. I I I've over the years I've I've been fortunate enough to give a lot of people their start in the solar industry and they've mm-hmm. gone on to do great things and, and it's fun to to watch and watch them grow and
0: uh I'm pretty confident you gave Bob his first job in the solar industry. Yeah, I did. That's amazing. I mean, we've mentioned him a couple of times, so I'll uh, unpack that really quickly. Bob worked for me, uh, with me, not for me, actually. Bob worked with me along alongside me at DRI Energy, went on to work for Sharp and then Solar City, and now runs P- Plus Power with some of his business partners. Someone who's done a tremendous amount of uh, of solar power deploying in uh, in our uh, in our Bay Area community. Um, and like Bob, there are other stories of careers that you've helped launch in the solar industry. When you think about the broader business landscape, maybe specific in the solar industry is fine as well, but I think more broadly about just folks that we draw inspiration from who is impressive to you and what characterizes them thus?
1: I think the solar pioneers, um, mm-hmm. have, uh, I, I look up to them, you know, I, I know a few of them and, um, I think that the, the work that they did, uh, we all, all owe a debt of gratitude to them for, for helping make the solar industry happen here in Northern California, the way they did. And, People like Dan Thompson that you mentioned earlier, Mm -hmm. he's early early on in the commercial space and uh, doing, you know, big projects in the Bay Area and uh, innovating. And um, I kind of look at the solar industry as a big team. Like, I feel like we're all on on a big team together. uh, I really like going to the trade shows because it just, I I feel that energy and uh, it's great. Um, We're all working towards a common goal and we all have uh similar interests and um um you know i i i wouldn't point out one specific person but yeah. uh, i i'm grateful to the people that gave me my first jobs in the industry absolutely for sure yeah
0: for those who are unfamiliar with the idea of solar pioneers which is um is one that uh i I've, I've had a solar pioneer series and many of the folks that jeff and i both jeff spies uh bring in a minute um and I both have interviewed have um, truly helped to form the, the foundation of the solar industry in the U.S., but also uh, around the world. Uh, if you want to check it out, I'll link to it in the show notes, uh, Solar Roots, which is a documentary that our friend Jeff Spees created uh, to highlight some of those um, sort of central figures in the 60s, 70s, the 80s, 90s, uh, uh, real founding of our industry and getting it off the ground. I, like you owe a debt of gratitude to those guys. I've had uh, a number of them on the show and maintain relationships with them. And I'm grateful for the work that they did. I wonder, are there any particular salient lessons or takeaways from early mentors or leaders that had a profound impact on you? And how do you pass those along to the folks on your team or those around you?
1: I mean, obviously my family, uh, my, my, my grandfather was an innovator and inventor and he, he, he instilled in me the ability to solve problems and to don't don't give up. Just keep 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 working at it yeah. uh, and believe in what you're doing. And and you they, it doesn't always work out. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes you yeah. you 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 have to you know reevaluate what you're doing and uh, and 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 you know. But uh, I think just keep pushing forward is is really the the key. And and I think having that confidence and belief in your yourself is uh is important
0: yeah i think that also a key to leadership is being able to make tough decisions often sooner and faster than you want can you give me an example of a time where uh one of those tough decisions pushed you out of your comfort zone
1: i don't know my comfort zone's pretty big i i, I don't really I I, don't, I I uh i i do try to make uh uh I, I, you know, we're in a fast paced industry, um, Mm -hmm. and we do have to make decisions quickly. Um, I think the most important thing is, is, is honesty, honestly, uh, honesty with your people that you're working with, honesty with your clientele. Um, you know, everybody makes mistakes sometimes and, and that, uh, it's, it's how you handle those and and living up to it, I think is, is the lesson I could pass on. Um, I think the soul industry overall, feel very fortunate to work in this industry. You know, I have friends that work in other industries and we have a lot of integrity uh, in our industry. People have a lot Mm -hmm. of integrity and they, they're solid, um, really solid people. I have a a very good friend that works in the music industry and that's not always the case.
0: (laughs) Very very unsolid, very mushy ground. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Very murky. That came from the music industry. Oh, Okay. So, you know, mm-hmm. I do indeed. I do indeed. <laughs> um, I had a boss, by the way. Um, I just want to tag on the most important thing is honesty. Um, sort of in the similar vein. I had a boss say to me, this is Nico. <clears throat> I won't try to imitate his British accent, but, um, but I loved uh, every time he would share a, a truism with me, it was all the better because it came through in a British accent. He'd say, Nico, uh, I want to hear good news fast and I want to hear bad news faster. <laughs> That's and, true. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that I didn't appreciate then as much as I do now as the owner of a company, um, the sincerity in that, what he was trying to convey to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like I heard it a bit like he wanted to, you know, I, I heard the the sincerity, but I had that skeptical mind of like, mm, I don't know, like you're just trying to manipulate me to get to tell you if something's wrong. And I don't know if I want to share anything is, that's wrong. And, yeah. you know, what we know to be true is that Um, as founders, we can't fix stuff if we don't know it's broken. We can't intervene if we don't know something's stuck. Right. The bad news often is bad news for, you know, for me as a junior employee in that company only because I don't have all the information that he has and he could much more quickly connect the dots. And that pattern matching allows, uh, leaders to, to lead better. Ellie, what do you nerd out about when you're not thinking about solar energy?
1: Guitars, music, uh, cars, m- motorcycles. Uh, What's,
0: so I'll take them in turn. The last, the latest guitar you bought.
1: Uh, last guitar I, 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 traded, uh, it was a, uh, Gibson, uh, it's called a, the Paul, which is a Les Paul, uh, mm-hmm. electric guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, I like working on guitars, uh, I like, like working with my hands and, fixing things and working on stuff. I'm, I'm a kind of a mechanically inclined person.
0: Fantastic. Uh, your, uh, favorite music genre.
1: Um, I would you have had to, to s- pick one. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think I'm at heart. I'm a folk musician.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Give me an example of a folk musician for people who don't know what that means.
1: Um, I, I, I mean, I would say somebody like Doc Watson or, um, yeah. uh, you know, uh, I, 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 I would even put somebody like, uh, Woody Guthrie,
0: mm, stuff like cool. that. Cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. And finger pick.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic.
0: Uh, car, uh, how do you think about cars? Practical, flashy motor, like love motors, uh, hate motors. Talk Tell me about like,
1: I mean, my, it, it's changing. Uh, I, I, I was always, I've always considered myself a gearhead, uh, uh-huh. uh, by fixing cars, working, car, having vintage cars and, re, you know, restoring cars and things uh-huh. like that and rebuilding engines. Programs, and, yeah. Um, and, uh, the
0: electric revolution is going to make that. Difficult. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think once you drive an electric car, there's really no going back. Uh, so I, I have, yeah, I have electric car. I have another electric car on order. One of the Apteras. No I'm way. The three wheel Yeah. Early on with a reservation with that. And I'm excited to get that. And, mm-hmm. uh, I don't think I'll be driving really any other Ice, ice motors after
0: are you going to uh so i'll extend this to motorcycles i had um uh, i grew up in a motorcycle family as well and uh mm-hmm. while i'm not particularly adept in mechanical stuff with my hands on 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 engines um really love motorcycles as well um so what's your favorite sort of motorcycle or style of motorcycle are you more of a a harley or a ducati or something else uh kind of guy and then also are you going to get an electric motorcycle
1: like dual sports and uh scrambler style um Mm -hmm. I used to be more into kind of the cafe style but I can't really ride those so much anymore it's kind of hard on your back when I was in my 20s um and uh, I also ride Vespas I have been riding Vespas here for years in the city I've I've had Vespas for years and um, they're they're really great they're a lot of fun um electric motorcycle I've thought about it um and I, I, haven't, I haven't uh, pulled the trigger on one yet, but. Uh,
0: They're abundant these days. I, yeah. When I was at, when I was at Trina, you'll remember these guys, the guys down in San, um, uh, San Rafael. Zero? Zero? No, not zero because zero was up in Portland. All uh, right. Yeah. Lightning, mm-hmm. the lightning guys, they set the world or the Pikes Peak, um, record, yeah. like all record, not, not the electric or the, you know, motorcycle yeah. record. They set the Pikes Peak record with right. an electric motorcycle back in yeah. like, I uh, it was when I was at Trina. So it must've been 2013. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I, I love the, uh, design of vintage cars and motorcycles, but I, I can't bring myself to, to, to operate anything that doesn't have a catalytic converter anymore. It just doesn't, I can't do it. It's just, uh, it, it, it goes, it goes beyond my abilities as a, Environmentalist, <laughs> I love it.
0: That is really, yeah, that's, uh, apropos. I like it. Yeah. Um, Ellie, are there any books that you, uh, hold near and dear as, uh, sort of tomes that you regularly recommend or give to others?
1: Um, I, I kind of like reading, uh, uh, like autobiographies from musicians. Mm. That's kind of cool. my thing. So, um, yeah, that, that's what I like to read.
0: Yeah. So yeah. what's an example of an autobiography by a musician that I would want to read?
1: Um, well, like Bono has a new one that's out right now. That's really yeah. great. Uh, my wife and I are actually listening to the audiobook on that one together, which is fun. And, um, uh, like I read, uh, one on Jeff Tweedy recently that was, uh, from Wilco. That's a really good mm-hmm. book. Um, he's an interesting, interesting guy.
0: So I'm going to recommend one for you. Are you familiar with Maynard James Keenan? No. Okay. Uh, that's fine. You're going to, lo- do you like wine? Yeah. Okay. And you like music. Uh, And you're familiar with the band Tool? Yes, I know of The band Tool, yeah. And then a band, um, maybe less well known, Pussifer, and another band, A Perfect Circle. So if you'd like to know about the guy who was the front man and the journey he was on from, uh, I won't even tell you like from, because you don't know anything about uh, MJK, you should go listen to his book, A Perfect Union of Contrary Things. And I recommend it to anyone listening it is my second most recommended book for 2022 that I read. And it floored me uh, just like, I was fascinated as someone who grew up in the music industry. I uh, knew who he was, but not much about tool. Cause it didn't really like, I'm not a heavy metal kind of listener. Right. And, um, uh, but I've gone back and listened to the tool discography just because of this book. I'll check it out. Yeah. Do you have a morning or evening routine or rituals that kind of help establish a cadence for you and give you grounding?
1: Not particularly, not really. Um, I, I don't really have any unusual. I take the dog for a walk. Uh, you know, I drink tea. I don't drink coffee. Um, I uh, like to hike, um, go, you know, go for hikes, try to do that as much as possible. And uh, uh, I like to sail. Um but no, I don't really have a, a specific thing that I would say, um, you know, I, I'm not a super early morning person. So I, I like to, you know, sleep till like seven thirty or eight o'clock and uh, try to get that REM sleep in the morning as much as possible.
0: Yeah. It's not often that I get, I get a CEO who's willing to say they sleep past six o'clock in the morning, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> So thank you for that. Thank you for the freedom and validation you've just given to countless people who yeah. feel uh, oppressed and beat up by the grind culture.
1: Yeah. I do work later <laughs> in the day. I typically will work until yes. six six or seven.
0: Yeah. But not the second shift, not like tuning back in at nine thirty, ten o'clock and work until two not, in the morning.
1: Not not unless I have to.
0: Not these years. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Not unless I have to.
0: Yeah. Well, Ellie, I, uh, I've learned a lot right now, just thinking through some of the things that you have discussed here. And I think I'm going to start adding sort of modifying the way I ask these questions just based on, um, the way that you unpack the, your, um, your thoughts and answers on this. Uh, like the ability to say, okay, what kind of guitars, what kind of music, what kind of cars, um, tea versus yeah. coffee. Those are things that I think are just genuinely insightful things about you that, um are were answered in a different a slightly different way today that gives me not only greater insight to you but i think would also form a good sort of re reorganization of the way i ask some of these questions toward the end if others are so inclined and fascinated by the conversation we've had today um where can people best engage with you where do you like to be found
1: i mean you can go to our website Solega.com, mm-hmm. uh or like i like with two l's yeah s-o-l-l-e-g-a mm-hmm. I'm, I'm on linkedin yeah, you can, uh, you can contact us, uh, info at com.
0: All right, we'll link to all of those in the show notes, which you'll get more information about in just a moment. But let's ask our final question of the day. Ellie, I'd love to end with what we call bold prediction. What do you see as the critical path or obstacle that we'll need to overcome to really unlock the true potential of the vast commercial, industrial rooftop space in the U.S. that we all look upon with such... Uh, anticipation uh, when we fly into airports around the U.S. and the world? What's in your crystal ball?
1: Well, I think definitely are working uh, in the right direction with in terms of AHJs, authorities having jurisdiction and trying to uh, speed things up in that realm. I know that uh, NREL has been been working on that. Um, (laughs) uh, I I see that as a a, definitely a a bottleneck Mm. uh, in in getting more commercial through, um, the utilities, um, are, are, are bottleneck, uh, getting interconnection agreements. Obviously NEM three is not, I don't think is a step in the right direction. Mm. You know, I think, I think, uh, standardizing as much as possible, mm-hmm. uh, is key. I don't know. It's, uh, it's, a like I mentioned earlier, it's, it's, it's kind of a moving target. So it's, um, it's, it, it's constantly evolving and changing. And that's part of what makes it fun and interesting mm-hmm. and, and a, a challenge uh, that keeps me excited and, you know, why, why we continue to innovate and um, try to find ways to, uh, um, you know, facilitate more PV.
0: Well, Ellie, I'm grateful for your time and for the work that you and your team have been doing for now, you know, 13 years, uh, trying to help us unlock this very important crucial sector to decarbonizing our power grid and um, and moving the industry forward. Uh, thank you so much for joining us on Suncast. I look forward to seeing you in real life in real life sometime soon.
1: Thanks Nico. It's uh, been a pleasure.
0: All right, Solar warrior well that is a wrap on today's episode. I'm so grateful for Ellie. thank you for taking the time. man. it is so good to get a chance to get your story finally. Under wraps, we've tried for years to try and connect and get this done. So I'm grateful that we finally made the time, and boy was it worth it. I learned a ton from Ellie. I'd love to know here what you learned, and of course, if you're eager to keep learning, you, my fellow Follow math can find the resources and highlights from this discussion, along with all the other goodies that we get in every episode, along with social media links, book recommendations, and more, by clicking on the show notes tab at mysuncast.com. What was your favorite part of this episode? Would you share it with us over on LinkedIn? You can find my LinkedIn right there in your podcast player of choice. In the description, click on through. You'll see a podcast post that I've made either on our Suncast Media page or probably on my personal page as well. Uh, And let us know what was most interesting for you. Was it how Ellie funded the company? Was it the stories about moving to california growing up in the midwest perhaps it was how they pivoted and iterated around their first racking designs or maybe the fact that they figured out how to sell it before they actually had the product in the marketplace all of these are wonderful and viable options i would like to hear from you what was it that you're taking away hit us up uh, you can also email me nico at my suncast.com i love hearing from you who else like ellie do you think deserves to have their story told here on suncast i hope you'll join us next week for our tactical tuesday and our long form executive profile just like this on thursday we bring leaders on the front lines to you each and every week and we go deep on topics that i know are going to help you build your business and your career i want to take a special moment and thank our sponsors who help make this content free to you sun as our annual sponsor has doubled down in their second year thank you sun you can learn more about them as well as our other partners at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor that's also where you can learn how to partner with us to reach thousands of solar warriors and clean tech champions twice a week just like they do remember you are what you listen to thanks again for showing up solo warrior it's half the battle Kia! G-